You can kick your fancy ales, you can take them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. We barely held our own in the South Farthing, and what we had there weren't really anything more than a big fight. But if we had it hard, the hobbits up in Bywater had it far worse. Mary Ardock, Brandybuck and Peregrine Took seemed to have rallied the hobbits up there together and hatched a plan to show these oafs once and for all. They caught Sharky's men on the Bywater Road between Old Men Tumpany and Jaster's Chump's Head Roads and trapped them in like chickens in a coo. Seems young Mary gave them fair warning for he asked them to surrender themselves and put up their weapons. Sad fact of the matter is, those vagabonds were hopping mad by then, and just charged the Brandybuck lad with great shout. Well, some desperate fighting and a lot of courage saw us victorious, but not without a great many injuries, and worse. All I can say is I'm glad the travellers were able to win that victory. It could have turned out so differently, and no mistake. Welcome to The Green Dragon, your podcast about the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit strategy battle game by Games Workshop. Thank you very much, David, for reading the Battle of Bywater story there from a Hobbit's perspective, nonetheless. I also have Travis. Welcome. Hello, everyone. David, welcome. Greetings. And I'm Jeremy here. Today, I'm very excited. We're talking about one of my favorite scenarios, one of the first scenarios I played through, the Battle of Bywater from the Scouring of the Shire book. Very old scenario. One that stood the test of time. I'd just like to say, before we go on, that was a really dark introduction for the scenario. It was different from the other ones, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just it was really dark. This is the final battle of the War of the Ring. All evil ended with the ring, but this is it. This is the last punch-on. And this is the time the Hobbits really get to show that they are in control of their own destiny now. They can do it, and it's the one last thing before Frodo goes over the sea and... They, they disappear and they move to the fourth age. The hobbits did all that work. They were so, so put so much energy into destroying the ring and they came back and their home was destroyed. So it was dark and, and it is. Yeah, I'd be pissed too. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of my favorite chapters of the book. Like I know it doesn't make sense from a movie because you get a second climax. I know that a lot of people don't like it for that reason, but just to have the hobbits have to defend their own. They didn't have a wizard to help them or didn't have the eagles to just bail them out like everyone does in Tolkien's world. Really, really resonated with me. And it's the feeling of it's the one last hurrah. All the great events are done. All the great heroes have wandered off. And it's just, it's down to the little guys. But those little guys aren't so little anymore. I mean, Sam and Frodo went to hell, literally went to hell and back. Mary and Pippin both fought in massive battles and so much experience. And it was those two that were the ones that led the Hobbit counterattack. Absolutely. They've become their own generals and they've learned so much and brought it back there. So this is what we're recreating this scenario. And you can tell that we're all really passionate about the story behind it. And that's part of the reason we love these scenarios. Now, the way this one works, you have, David, do you want to read the participants first of all? The participants. For the good side, we have Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin, four Hobbit sheriffs, eight Hobbit archers, and 12 Hobbit militia. So we've got a decent amount of hobbits there, 24 basic hobbits. The nice thing about this so far is that they came in blister packs of four and you all had multiples of four. So you didn't have over models. You could buy the exact models for it. And they had a box set at the time where you could buy four hobbits on ponies and the uh, Sharky and Worm were in the same box. Mm. This is during the time where they didn't list equipment, but there's a photo of them there with full kit. So Yeah, given the stuff that they have in the models. And the evil side. 
The evil side consists of Sharky and Worm, nine ruffians with whip, and six ruffians with bow. Hmm. So a small amount of ruffians there. Yes, but in this scenario, the ruffians are the elites in this. They are the... They what would be fountain court guard with spear and shear to a lowly orc. They rip through the hobbits. I really like when they do the scenarios where they turn things on the head because ruffians are essentially the lowest of the low in terms of the profile. But compared to a hobbit, they are really tough. You can take them down, but they are hard to take on. And so you've got this these sort of bully, weedy men versus the hobbits, and suddenly they're a massive threat. Mm, and those whips. Oh, man. Those whips. I believe, amazing. I believe the profile for the ruffians says they're not a threat to anybody, but against hobbits, they can actually do something. Yeah, and I get the idea that they're just a bunch of sort of coward men, essentially, that are really opportunistic. And, and when Sharky sort of got really bitter, he just grabbed the whole bunch of whoever was left over and didn't fight in the War of the Ring, and they just came and, and beat up hobbits. Yep, one last hurrah. Mm. Some serious anger management. Okay, can we have the layout, Travis? Uh, it is a two foot by three foot board, and this one has a really interesting sort of layout. You've sort of got four hobbit holes in each sort of corner of the board, but most importantly, you have a six inch wide row that goes straight down the center of the board, and by the center of the board, I mean from the long table edges. So in the middle, you also have a wall that extends on both sides of the road, about two inches or so, so you have this eight-inch corridor down the middle with a road on either side. Down one end of the road, six inches down, you have a barricade that's made by the hobbits. So you sort of have these mini defenders, defendable obstacles going down the, the center strips of the table, and it makes it for a very interesting scenario. The thing about it is it turns it potentially into a little mini siege because you've got essentially four separate areas where if someone wants to defend them, they can turn them into a defended obstacle because you've got fences or barricades all around there. And when everyone's such low defence, you want that 4-plus in the way because people die without it. Yeah, and, do. and so you're going to the defended obstacle rules quite a lot, but also you can jump over a fence and, and get around it. So it's a nice layout. It's one where I liked it enough that I was inspired to make my own board for it. And this was one of the first boards I actually made. Probably my second board, actually. I made a generic Rohan Forest one, and it didn't work out particularly well. But this one, I've still kept. I absolutely loved it. I was so proud of it that when um, we had one of our tournaments here, they back in the days when they got Lord of the Rings celebrities over, they brought Adam Troke over, and I wanted to show off my board to him as a, a little young, new to the person, got him to write his name on it, and asked me to say good luck but it's one of the boards that it's still pride of place for me it's still one that comes out the board itself is a really nice looking board and it's quite playable for a little two by three board yeah i think uh consistently every year for the past since the scary and the shire came out we've ripped that out at least once a year and played through it i think without fail and i used it for a display board and it's the backdrop of a lot of the cover photos for our green dragon podcast because it just looks so good. It's got so much variety. I recently redid it, add some more flowers and redid the foliage because it was getting a bit dark and old. But the layout's really nice board. It wasn't too hard to make. I just got basically a flat piece of MDF and then two side bits and then put some foam in the middle, carved it out so it was basically a valley, carved out some hobbit holes with some more foam, shaped them, and then added some detachable trees, and then added some barricades and hedges that I got from a model train store. 
Mm. And this, even if you don't have the sort of resources as well, it's a pretty simple scenario. Road down the middle, wall on each side, barricade on one side of the road and some hobbit holes on the outsides. And the main thing are the fences. You've got to have those fences yeah. there. Those fences are the main point of this scenario. You will be defending them like your life depends on it. And quite frankly, it does depend on it. Okay, now, so what are we trying to achieve in this mission? What are our objectives, David? The objectives in this are fairly simple. The hobbits are trying to drive off the ruffians, and that means taking out Sharky. The good player wins if Sharky is slain. The evil player wins if he can kill the four travellers before that happens. So that's Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin. So really simple objectives, kill the heroes. Mm, and the starting positions for the for this scenario is quite interesting. Sharky doesn't start on the board in this scenario. He arrives later as a reinforcement, but the four travellers do, and they sort of set up this mini sort of semicircle around the ruffians. So the ruffians sort of start the game on one side of the road, and the hobbits sort of are in this big, long semicircle around them, sort of going, you're trapped, you're surrounded, Try and fight your way out. It really does look like they've set a trap. There's the barricade. The ruffians are marching in arrogantly going, yeah, we own this town. And suddenly all the hobbits pop up behind this barricade that the ruffians have looked at really confused. And why is there a barricade here? Hobbits pop up from all the ruined houses, all the fences, and then start shooting them. Now that's probably going to go on to a special rule. How do they represent that in the rules? Well, they have to represent the ambush. They have the special rule, ambush. Excellent. Mary has laid his trap well. Before the first turn begins, all the Hobbit archers may shoot once. Hmm. So you've got eight Hobbit archers all get to fire off, which means that they often get set up in a real nice shooting position where they can see them and they can shoot. Most definitely. And they are going to hit and kill probably about two ruffians. Yeah, two to three ruffians is, is not too bad for that. If you, get, if you get more than that, you're doing really well. Most of the time you get maybe between one and three, which is much of a muchness really. Next special rule. Next special rule is the Travellers. So, at the end of each of the good player's move phases, he rolls a d6 for each of the four Travellers that are still in play. Each time you roll a 6, one of your casualties moves back on from any board edge. And that's the important part. So, you've got the Travellers, Mary, Pippin, Sam and Frodo. At the at your movement phase, you get to roll a die for each of them that are still alive, so you want to keep them alive. And the nice thing about this is you can bring on hobbits that have previously been removed from the scenario on any board edge. They can even come in behind the ruffians or anywhere on the board. And we'll go through very soon about some tactics there. But there's some that really opens up the scenario. It means the whole board is used. Yes, it does. And as you said, we'll get into that. The next special rule. The next special rule is the mob. The ruffians are just generally wandering along. They're not in any real formation. They're stragglers. In fact, there's D3 stragglers per turn come in from the evil deployment zone. Which is six inches of their side of the road. Mm-hmm. So they move on from the road there. Yep. And they're very reliable how many's coming on. You know you're getting between one and three every turn for the whole game. Yeah, there's nothing more demoralizing as a Hobbit player when you've killed a whole bunch of ruffians, is down to four on the table, then three more come on, then three more come on. And three more come on, and then suddenly they're back up to full capacity. And that happens quite a bit. So you you get these ebb and flow where there's no ruffians there. And we've actually had some games where there have been no ruffians on the board at all, and then they all start appearing again. Great mechanic, that. I love it. Yeah, it works really well. And I do like the D3 because it's, it's so consistent for the evil player. The rolling sixes is a little bit tricky for the good player. Sometimes you get ones where you don't get hobbits for a long time. That said, though, I do quite like it because it keeps the main game moving. It means that... 
once Sharky does arrive, which is the next special rule to get into in a moment, it keeps pressure on him at all times. There's never a moment where he can't not move. Okay, so how does Sharky arrive, Travis? On turn five, after moving new ruffians onto the board, the evil player rolls a d6. On the score of a four plus, Sharky has arrived and he moves onto the board with Worm in tow. They may not charge the turn they arrive, but may otherwise act normally. Yep. So what it means is from turn five onwards, you're making with your ruffians are left over this little shield for Sharky because the last thing you want is the Hobbit archers to just shoot him down and they can do that. So you've got this little barrier for him and he probably jumps behind a wall as soon as he can, but you don't know when he's coming on. And as an evil player, you actually don't want him on. The longer he's off the board, the better for you. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see that that mechanic with Sharky because I have seen a couple of times in this scenario the Hobbits go right. We're going to push this advantage home early. We're going to jump the barricades. We're going to get right up in the ruffians' face. They go in, they kill all the ruffians right on there on the road, and they're like, "When Sharky coming on? When Sharky coming on?" And the Sharky doesn't arrive for another two, three more turns after he it's supposed to rocks up on turn nine, and there's no Hobbits left to take him on. Absolutely. And how long does the scenario take, guys? You think? It's a pretty long one, I can say. It's about two hours, can go a bit longer, can go a bit shorter, depending on how aggressive or how conservative you are, but generally as a rule of thumb, two hours. Yeah, you want at least two hours for this scenario, which is a bit surprising, because when you've got 15 ruffians, Sharky, and then 24 hobbits in the travels, you don't think it's going to be a long game. It looks like it's going to take 10 minutes. Yeah, but really, really think about it. It's not 15 ruffians you're going to have. You end up having like up to like 40, sometimes even 60 ruffians throughout the course of the game because they just come, keep coming back. Now, about the rules we're playing this, this is an interesting one because we've played this scenario through multiple iterations of the rule and we've had our take on what works and what doesn't. The initial rules were pretty solid for it. It was what it was designed for. The main difference in, from now is that the Hobbits, especially Merry and Pippin, had less attack power. They had less attacks. Yes, one attack each didn't count as cavalry. Yep, the ponies did not count as cavalry, and also there wasn't any special weapons. So there, there's a main difference there. The Hobbit archers changed a lot. The Hobbit archers originally were unarmed, and they originally were 18-inch bows, I believe, short bows. Mm. Yes. So they were pretty much the same. Like, Actually, I think though, the ruffians had the longer bows at that point. Though the range on a board this size isn't too critical. It's not, but there was a slight possibility you could get out of range yes. of the hobbits, whereas now 24-inch bows, no chance. Yeah, it's an interesting one. The, I think the problem is the creep for the good side, the power creep for the good side, has just just blown the evil side's power creep out of the water. I mean, the only redeeming thing that the evil side got was Sharky can come onto the board, cast a channel, terrifying aura, and sort of hash off the, the uh, hobbits there. But even then, that's still not enough no, to, that, to that's not enough. it. The other thing that's changed, initially the courage rules were very different, where if you're on a pony, the ponies, basically everything caused terror to a pony. So you walked up, if you wanted to charge something, you moved to within one inch of it. So if, say, you're seven inches away, you'd move to within one inch of it, so move six inches, then you'd pass your courage test. If you failed your courage test, you'd move your full move directly away from that model. Now, if you could get off the board, you did. And on a board this size... Almost everybody could make it off the board with one failed courage check. So what that means is as a Hobbit player, you dismounted as soon as possible. Yeah, you used the ponies to get you to where you wanted to be. You jumped off and then you started the brawl. Nowadays, with ponies causing cavalry, being cavalry and charging, and with the sort of ascended stats that the new Merry and Pippin have, it can make things very unbalanced very quickly. And the break test rules are the other one that's changed in the new rules where you have to keep track of how many casualties... 
that ruins a scenario like this very quickly because you start with 15 ruffians or so 17 models all up your break points what about 10 or so very easy to kill 10 ruffians you might have it in the first three turns yeah actually i just as a more of a curiosity than anything went up to matt one of the other members of this podcast says i wonder how long it takes to if you play this under the full new rules i was broken turn two the game was over turn four yeah, no, very disappointing in there. So we actually recommend, and I think I'll check with the others to see if agree with us, play with the older rules. So the old profiles for the Hobbits that come in the Scouring of the Shire book, change the courage rules so that if to the current courage rules for terror. So if a Hobbit wants to charge a model on a pony, they just freeze if they can't charge them. I think that works a lot better. It still means they dismount. But I think other than that, you might want to put special strikes in. That doesn't really break the game open. But no, special tries are quite fine because the piercing gives the hoppers edge, but the fainting on the ruffians also mean they can chop through a bit quicker as well. Since it gives an equal edge to both sides, it's much for muchness. Things die faster, but takes longer because you've got to declare which strike you're using. Yeah, it tends I, to balance itself out. Yeah, so. I prefer to play without them, but I'm fine to play with them. It doesn't really matter. It just means you have to get the coloured dice out and declare the weapons and, and do a little bit more fiddly stuff. But if you want to do that, that's fine as well. Hmm. So let's go straight into what we like about this scenario because I'm a bit of a hint here. We all like this scenario. Oh, yeah. This is a scenario I really like it. It transferred well from the books into, well, into a game. Like, you, could, you get the lore, you get the feeling. It's fairly close to how Tolkien set it out, but it's still an amazing game to play through. It was well balanced until you ended up with three attacks on the charge with, you know, Mary and Pippin. Yeah, but we can't we can't take that against it. No, it's, no, it's, but as it was written, it's just a very solidly well thought out scenario. Anything could happen. It was one of those scenarios where you never know who was going to win right until the end. Yeah, one of the things I love about this scenario is the reinforcements for both sides. Actually, I love the the roller six and get another hobbit back because the amount of times I've seen a hobbit archer sneakily come on from the back of the board and Sharky's hiding next to a hobbit hole and he goes twang. And an arrow hits Sharky in the back and over he falls. I've also seen times where Sharky has been wounded. He's burnt his fake point to stay alive. And then suddenly Worm turns around and stabs him in the back and ends the game suddenly and abruptly. I love this scenario because there are so many different outcomes that can happen. It's always moving. It's always flowing. And because of those reinforcement special rules, everything's up for chance. And with your main Hobbit heroes on a pony, you can move your whole battle line in no time at all. So you've got Hobbit reinforcers coming on wherever you want. Suddenly you can abandon ship, you're overwhelmed at one side, and the poor ruffians who move faster find themselves stuck in the middle, and then the Hobbit archers come out and shoot them all as they try and cross that pathway in the middle. I think this is a game that stays tense to the end. It doesn't matter how badly you're being beaten, you're still in with a chance. I've got a memory of this. I had Frodo of the Nine Fingers left. That was it. He can't actually roll the wound. Sharky, however, was on one wound, no fate. And my opponent's like, you can't possibly win. I'm like, why? Because you can't roll the wound. No, but I can summon reinforcements, and if I can bring an archer on, I'm in with a chance. I couldn't roll a six, but... Absolutely. And the one archer, it's so scary as a Sharky player, because one archer can come on anywhere, anytime, and it's so hard to, to block him off. So now, I was down to the last model, but it was still a game. He still had to think what he was doing. I know exactly what you're talking about here, David. I'm going to bring up a bit of a war story here with uh, one of our friends from our gaming club, John. 
I was playing the ruffians this particular game and I was doing a very good job. I'd killed Mary, I'd killed Pippin, and there was just Sam and Frodo left. They were bunkered down, they had a couple of militia around them boxing out. It was just a matter of time. Sharking his goons were like just absolutely smashing him to pieces. I still had Worm alive. I'd taken a wound on Sharky, but that wasn't too much to me. She'll still had the fate point there and the might point as well. And then John rolled double sixes. And two hobbit archers came on the back of the board, shot, killed Sharky in the closing turns. But what was the most disappointing was the next couple of combats, because I could have still achieved a draw if I had to kill the travels by the end of the turn. I had Sam trapped against a wall. I killed him. But unfortunately, by killing him, I had untrapped Frodo, and so Frodo managed to survive the savage onslaught of four attacks coming from the ruffians, surviving and winning John the game. Almost all the games become a really good story. It's rare that we get one where we haven't felt in it because there's so many models that die before you actually commit the hobbits and the ruffians. and the, Sorry, Sharky. So eventually you want to get Sharky in combat, you want to get the hobbits in combat, but you don't want to do that until you've got an advantage. In combat's the best place to hide from good archery. True, but if you're surrounded by hobbits, and it's, you're, dead as well. you're dead very quickly as well. And it's such a double-edged sword. <laughs> the amount of times I've seen Sharky go into combat to stop himself from being shot at hobbit archers, only to have a Sam come in and shank him with Sting with the two points of might behind it. It's such a double-edged sword. Everything in the scenario is a double-edged sword. Even the hobbits' walls and barricades can be a double-edged sword. The amount of times I have seen a reversal of who is defending. So the hobbits are defending, then the ruffians jump the barricades, push them off the barricades, and start defending the barricades themselves. And then the hobbits have to try to siege them to push them off because they're guarding Sharky. And then Sharky runs away, and then the complete reversal happens again. The amount of times, it's, it's beautiful. I love watching that interaction. Yeah, you've got so many levels you can fall back on, and it's essentially turns into a circle where you just keep falling back in different spots. You always know where the ruffians are coming on, but they can when the ruffians get the ascendancy, they tend to be fighting as far away from their reinforcements as possible. So you kill a few ruffians in, and suddenly they're in no man's land, and poor Sharky doesn't know where he is. Yeah, there's some funny stuff going on in that scenario, and... It really makes you think about all the options at your disposal. The amount of times I've seen, you know, five, six of our gaming groups standing around this one table, and it's almost like people were drawing sides and really thinking about every option. You've got six minds working at the one scenario, trying to think out what the best course of action it is for, for Sharky to do or how Sam and Mary are going to get into, into Sharky to finish him off. It's really get, entertaining. And you get six different answers every time. And you get a lot of it. Why did you do that? That's ridiculous. But there's no right answer because there's so many different tactics here. I want to actually talk about a few of the different tactics we've used on this one, firstly as the Hobbits and then as the Ruffians because there's an actual massive variety in there. So, Hobbits. For the Hobbits, I don't think you can hold those two barriers which are right up next to the Ruffians because the Ruffians just come back on too quickly. So you end up having to fall back, at least from those positions. But then when you can't let too many ruffians get over the wall, or they can start holding them, and they can start defending them. So you've got to draw back and wait for Sharky to arrive, but if you draw back too far, you've given up too much ground. It's a tricky one to balance. So you're saying try and hold the ground for hobbits, but don't you've got to, minimize casualties. Yes, you've got to minimize casualties, because the ruffians regenerate faster than you do, but you also can't give too much ground, because you're only move four, you'll never make it back up again. My favourite one is the... The fall back to the original barricades 
tactics. So you go super, super aggressive with Miriam Pippen at the start. You run them forward. You don't put them in any danger. They're just solely there for their one point of might and their heroic actions. But the militia and the sheriffs you get with them, they go full on aggressive. They try and get into the ruffian's face early as possible and try and get to Sharky the moment he's arrived. Then when you lose those hobbits in the first initial attack, Mary and Pippin with what's left of their force fall back to Sam and Frodo in the back barricades and they sort of form up a little castle wall and wait for their reinforcement rule to kick in and try and pop off a couple of shots onto Sharky. I think that's the tactic that's worked for me the most and most effectively. I think as a Hobbit player, you have to draw the ruffians towards you and split them up because the 15 ruffians, if they're all together and attacking you, they'll do some real damage, but you want them to come three or four ruffians at a time. So you have to keep moving to draw them there. Otherwise, I find sometimes I've played games with a ruffian player just says, okay, I'm just going to stand back and shoot. And with their six archers, they can actually do some damage. Especially when those archers regenerate. Yeah, they come back pretty well every turn. If they start shooting down your archers and then they stay out of range of the throw stones, you're actually in a bit of trouble with a Hobbit player. So you have to draw the ruffians towards you. So you have to give them a juicy target and draw them in. But the ruffian player is doing the same thing. It's saying, well, maybe I'll regroup. Maybe I'll go and attack. And every Hobbit they kill is an advantage. Most certainly is. So ruffian players, what do we do as a ruffian player? Kill the Hobbits, kill them fast. Do you, go, do you just run at and... In the earlier turns, I just send them straight at the nearest Hobbits to try and rack up some early kills. You'll lose some ruffians early on, which you then start to use to build a defensive, call it a redoubt, so that when Sharky arrives, he doesn't get shot as soon as he walks on. And Mm. so pretty much the initial wave is just an initial wave. It's the reinforcements that I then use to start building a strategy and starting to think of. Well, for me, I find, usually find that the ruffians will either skew either right towards Mary or left towards Pippin. I usually skew towards Pippin because I have had at times the shielding rule being brought into play against me with Mary, and it's been a pain in the ass to crack through. So I usually skew towards Mary, Pippin, go out in full ball. Like every ruffian's full job on turn one is to run full pace, even the archers towards Mary, jump that barricade, get over and get in those hobbits' faces, get in there, try and knock off one of the uh, travelers early, and that really puts the pressure on the good player if they lose one of them early on. And the amount of times I've seen a traveler roll on one to jump a fence, is it can bugger you up, those fences. Yeah, and they don't want to spend might on I like the idea of attacking one of the flanks and then use it to set up a bit of a base of defense because then the ruffians can use the defended obstacles. And once you do that... You're pretty good. I also like to find a way to charge Frodo wherever possible because you know that ruffian is safe and he can't die So, because Frodo can't strike blows. So trying to charge Frodo one-on-one wherever possible is a, is a good way of doing that. Sometimes you can do that. and Sometimes a hobbit player puts him as a bit of a, a barrier at times. So by all means, charge him. Yeah, Frodo's an interesting one. He's a tank and he's a support model all in one. That banner re-roll is really crucial. I find you really need to get that banner zone, that banner effect from Frodo zoned out of the main combat with the ruffians because that'll ruin your day. Yeah, you want to attack with someone who's not near the banner. And Frodo's pretty well always the last Hobbit alive from most games we play through. Mm. It's very rare he dies Frodo early. or Mary, it seems to be the ones that survive the longest with two attacks at high fight. And Frodo, because he's just, his defense is annoying. To be perfectly honest. And with no spears on the table, no other banners, that one re-roll is just, it becomes so much more powerful. Yeah, whenever you get a chance at the, the one of the travelers, even if it's just charging with a whip, 
mm-hmm. go for it because I, the amount of times I've seen a whip kill one of the travelers is is, is, is laughable. Any chance you get. Any chance you get, throw go dice for it. Off. It's the objective you need to constantly go for it. You need to constantly put pressure on that objective and the objectives are the four travelers and a smart hobbit player will make it hard for you to get to them. Mm-hmm. But they'll eventually run out of hobbits because you've got essentially an endless supply of ruffians. So as long as you're whittling down a couple of hobbits every once in a while, they're not going to be coming back that fast. They might get a good turn here and there where they get two or three hobbits on, but the majority of the time they're getting one or less hobbit. Just keep attacking them and, and putting that pressure on, and eventually they're going to have to go and attack Sharky, and the hobbits will have to jump out and go go full attack mode. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. There's a sort of artificial time limit on the scenario. It's how how well can you organize yourself as the Hobbit player before you run out of Hobbits? It is that ticking time bomb. If you don't make it, if you make your attack too early, you overextend and you'll lose because you've copped too many casualties. If you go too late, you won't have enough Hobbits to go in. It's about choosing the right time to go after Sharky. Absolutely. And, and Sharky's about defending as well and trying to get them in the wrong time. Worm is a fun one to play with in this scenario because I know some ruffian players throw him in and try and get him killed as early as possible. I actually like to try and protect him a little bit and keep him alive because one, he's an extra model that you don't get back if you you do that. So one extra model can make the difference. And two, it keeps the Hobbit player interested in attacking. So you can use him as a little bit of a baiting piece at times and try and draw a Mary or a Pippin or a Sam out because they'll often want to go and attack someone like that and try and make sure he doesn't come back. Or they'll leave him alone and try and keep him alive. And then you can pretty much do what you want with him and have him killing a hobbit every once in a while. Yeah, and that's a really interesting thing about Sharky. Ruffians are pretty good, but they do have a bit of a speed bump when coming up against the uh, the four travels, particularly Sam with his strength three. They're at equal fight value, but they just they just seem to lose the war of attrition as a straight up one-on-one against the, the travelers. Sharky has transfix. It's a very useful thing for him to have. And yeah, the Hobbits have resistance to magic, but one transfix at the right time on the right Hobbit will win you the game. And it's a two plus transfix, so it's easy to cast. He's also got the Terror, which is great against normal Hobbits. Um, in the old scenario, did the Mary have the horn? I don't... Uh, I'm not 100%. I think he might have, actually. I think he still had it at that point. Yes, he had the Horn of the Ridden Mark, so... So extra courage on the hobbits. Courage extra hobbits. So killing Mary, I almost disagree with Travis to go kill Mary early on because that combination of the terror, I don't find shielding to be a huge problem, especially if you can get him while he's still on the pony because you can't shield on the pony. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. It's just I have one particularly bad experience with uh, that that um, shielding Mary, blocking off not only ruffians but uh, Sharky as well. Sharky goes into him, can't wound because of the defense five and was losing combats because of the two attacks and good positioning. So it's just little things like that. And each Hobbit has something a little bit unique that they can provide to the army, which I find really quite useful. Sam Strength 3, Mary's got shielding, Frodo's a banner. So that's why I go after Pippin because he's the weak link of the four. Yep. Okay, so what do you think we would either change or what do we dislike about this scenario? Is there anything, David? What we would change? Well, we've already discussed the additions or subtractions to the Courage rules and terrifying. Other than that, it holds up fairly well. Off the top of my head, I can't think of a change where I'm like, this needs changing. I would really like to see this scenario being run with the new rules, with, you know, full heroic actions and everything. The problem is it makes it too limiting for the evil player. You've got 
one, two, three, four, five points of might on the good side. There's heaps of options there for them to pull off some heroic actions and really good moves and plays. The evil side sort of really limited with one point of might. I'd like to see a way of making the scenario a little bit more entertaining for the evil side with the full rules, but I just really can't see it being brought in. I don't know, maybe bring in like a Bill Fernie with, you know, his own sort of little unique yeah. profile with a, a might point or two might be interesting. If you were going to bring it into the new rules, you would have to add a few extra heroes to the evil player. Most definitely. At least just to even up the might stall because at the moment, the, the, the hobbits just have it too good. Like, two attack Mary or M. Pippin on the charge, three attacks. We tried it with the new rules and even when we removed the break test, they steamrolled their way through the ruffian line and just once Mary got into Sharky, it was just game from there. It was just too much power. I take them in points matches. They cut their way through dwarves. Not very reliably, but they still do against ruffians. There's just nothing to stop them. Yeah, in fact, I've actually seen the Shire Army being taken in points matches and they're quite powerful. And those new ascended forms for Mary and Pippin are... Yeah, impressive to say the least. Okay, well, I'm going to stop you two there because this talk of points match is not really acceptable on our scenario spotlights. So let's go with our final thoughts, the yay or nay. Our ranking system for scenario spotlight is thumbs up or thumbs down. And of course, we've evolved that as we go. So let's start with David. Go for it. Solid thumbs up. Why not? Two solid thumbs up. One of the better scenarios. Well written, well thought out. I'm going to go next because I think Travis wants to have the final say on it and be able to outdo our score. I'm going to do the two thumbs up as well. This has been one of my favorite scenarios since I put it together. I really lucked into it because I didn't know how good the scenario would be when I first made the board. And I don't know if it's because I made the board that I like the scenario so much, but I think it's a really, really solid scenario. I think it's one of the best ones in terms of fitting the story. It looks so good. It It's very easy to put in the back of the car. I had a small car where I could do this and easily throw the board in there. The models are achievable amount of models. I know now it's a little bit hard to get some of the hobbits and ruffians, but ruffians are easy to convert out of things. And even Lake Town Militia now will make great ruffians. The sheriffs, you can convert them up when they aren't available. I really recommend this scenario. Yeah, definitely agree with all those points. It is the jewel in the scouring of the Shire scenario set. It is the best of all of them, I think, and firmly believe. I remember when Jeremy first brought this in to NWA all those many moons ago, and I went, I want to play that scenario. And he says, it's not ready yet, still drying. I just wanted to show off what I did, and I was poking away at it, trying to figure out if it, waiting for it impatiently to, for it to dry. So that's I'll, why there's fingerprints in it. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely give this scenario a thumbs up. So big, in fact, I'm going to get my big foam, foam, foam thumbs up from out in the garage and wave it around. Well, a novelty foam pan thumbs up. Excellent rating system there. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening. Please give this scenario a try if you haven't already. We all love it, and it's one of the ones that we recommend probably more than most others in the game. So, yeah, especially over every other scenario. This yeah. one's up there with Helm's Deep sort of thing. Oh, it's better than Helm's Deep. Oh, yeah. It's the siege on a budget. Yes. So, thank you, David. Thank you, Travis, for joining me. And as always, remember that traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. 
You can contact us on the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.